Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Grace. It is so good to be with you guys. My name is Joe. If we haven't had a chance to meet before, one of the pastors here at Grace. And before we dive into uh, our next week here of God is, this conversation we've been having about who he is and how that impacts us, I just want to take a moment and pause. Uh, with it being Memorial Day weekend, um, I just want to encourage all of us to like slow down at least for a moment this weekend and reflect on what the, the essence of Memorial Day really is. Uh, Jesus himself says that there is no greater love that a man has than when he lays down his life for his friends. And that really is what Memorial Day is all about, that no matter where we sit on a day-to-day basis, we wouldn't be where we are if it weren't for the sacrifice that many people have paid. And so uh, not only want to slow down there, but some of you um, have been affected personally by losing one of those people that have laid down their life. And so we also want to encourage and kind of lift you up a little bit and say um, we're sorry and thank you for serving alongside those as well. So uh, why don't we go ahead and just take a moment and pray uh, before we dive in uh, today. God, thank you so much uh, for this encouragement and this opportunity to uh, live the life that we do, whether it's got its ups and downs, and yet the the opportunities that we have in front of us, the resources that are available to us, uh, were paid largely in part by those that gave up the ultimate sacrifice and and gave their lives so that the rest of us could live on behind them with the freedoms uh, that we now enjoy. So thank you for wiring certain people in such a unique way that they would step up and, 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 and serve in those ways and give their lives that way. And Lord, also give a special um, just season of comfort to those that have been personally affected by losing a loved one in service and surround them this weekend with some wonderful memories and the encouragement of what they stood for. Um, and Lord, thank you for your example that you laid down your life for us, for ultimate freedom, for the ultimate expression of life that we can join into as well. We pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, we've been in this conversation called God Is for a few weeks now, and it's been really encouraging to just start to look at what does God say about himself? And what are those unique things that he's trying to make sure we understand? Because the more that we understand about who Jesus is, the more that we understand about the character of God, the more that we understand about how he wants to interact with us, the more that we're able to actually step into the life that we were created for and called into. And so as we kind of look at these different passages, this heartbeat of here, ours at Grace is to really understand the heart and the mind of God. And we want to make sure that we're kind of dialing into the ways that he wants to express himself in the same ways that we would want someone to do with us, that we are kind of expressing who we are and they are learning from us who we are. We can learn those things from God. So we've been focusing on a couple of key passages. Two of them, uh, the first was the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That would be the devil, that'd be Satan, that'd be the, the enemy, wants to destroy our lives. But this is Jesus speaking. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, that there's a, there's a complete switch of what we might be experiencing on this planet, any of the evils, the, the things that tear us down, the destruction that comes our way is often catalyzed by the enemy. He's trying to destroy us, but on the complete flip side of that is Jesus, who is inviting us into life, and not only life, but the 
fullness of life. Let me show you what that looks like. And so we are unabashedly all about Jesus here at Grace. And the second passage is from Revelation chapter three. This is Jesus speaking again. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus is extending an invitation that if any of you want that life that I have come to offer, if you want to experience that fullness, if you want to experience that salvation, I'm at the door, I'm knocking, I would love to come in. Will you let me in? And so Jesus consistently has this invitation into our lives, trying to help us understand what that life looks like. And that's been a big part of who we are. And one of the reasons that these are so important to look at is because many of us sit on a spectrum of how we would view God. And on one side of that spectrum, you have Jesus is like, we cool, like we're good. Like Jesus is my buddy. Jesus and I, we're homeboys. Like we got this thing going on and you're almost like overly casual about it. Like we're good, you know? And then on the other hand of that side of that is kind of thinking that Jesus is the ultimate oppressor, that he is just at any moment gonna snap and lose it and you're done for and we almost live in fear of like when is God going to do that when is he going to actually lose his cool on us and so we kind of live in that tension and it's just important to understand that it's more somewhere in the middle that Jesus calls to Uh, Jesus calls us to something greater and life-giving and we want to make sure that we're taking a look at that well this passage that's kind of then been the core is in Exodus chapter 34 we've been kind of parking here for a few weeks And so if you'd like, you can open up a Bible to Exodus chapter 34. If you grabbed one of the ones in the seats, it's page 72. Otherwise, you can follow along in the app or the Bible app or your own Bible, wherever you'd like to be. But this passage is a highly used passage, even within the Bible. The other Bible writers have continued to repeat this. It is God expressing who he is, and it's very foundational, which is one of the reasons we've been parking here ourselves. It's very comparable to if we just were able to have the one-on-one conversation with God and ask, God, who are you? In many ways, this is God saying, this is who I am. I am a person, I am a personal God that wants to know you and be known by you. And so if you've missed the last couple of weeks of this uh, series, this conversation, I just can't reiterate enough the encouragement to go back, listen to those things, app, website, podcast, wherever you can, and dial into this conversation because it's been very, very helpful and foundational. But let's go ahead and read uh, right there in verse six. It says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to the thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. Excuse me. We've been looking at this and kind of breaking down each piece of this. What does God mean by these different elements, these phrases, these words? And specifically, uh, this weekend, we're going to take a look at the phrase where he says, uh, where he is slow to anger right? He is slow to anger. Now, my guess is, as we hear that phrase, that many of us are reacting differently. Because some of us, we hear uh, the anger side of this, and we're like, yeah, God is angry with me. And actually, that's a big part of my faith story. I have asked 
God for my forgiveness because I understood the wrath that was due to me. I understood how messed up my life was and I desperately need Jesus because God is angry at me, right? And so that kind of resonates with some of us. But on the other side of that as well, some of us are like, you know, I've actually always been uncomfortable with the idea that God could even get angry. As a matter of fact, from what I know of and heard of the Old Testament, it seems like there's some ways in which God acted there that don't line up with the Jesus that I know that's supposed to be loving and kind and gracious and turn the other cheek. And are those two even related and can they be reconciled? And to maybe to the point that we start to ignore some of the Old Testament side because, well, we know that Jesus, and you're like, how do I fit all that together? And so when we see a phrase like God is slow to anger, I actually think there's some fascinating stuff in there to unpack. And that's what we want to walk into this weekend. And it's going to be helpful if we can get into the original language. And here's why. Um, I can actually remember a time when... Um, We've, we've been doing missions in Mexico here at Grace Church for the better part of a decade, for probably about 12 years, uh, in and out of Mexico City, on the coast in Mazatlan and some other areas. It's been fantastic. And I remember one of my first trips down there, uh, I was being dropped off at our team's hotel uh, in an evening and our missionary left and went home and I'm getting into my room and the key card won't work. Well, this is fantastic because the missionary was the translator and they gone, okay? So like they're out the door and I now have to go down to the hotel staff and try to explain in my best Spanish that my door won't open, that my key card won't work. Now, thankfully, I had taken a few years in Spanish in high school and college, but most of you know that that doesn't always get you speaking it, all right? And so like, I don't speak a whole lot of Spanish. I had been to Mexico at that point one or two times, so a little bit was starting to click. And I thought, you know what? I got this, I got this. And so I walked down to the hotel staff and I looked them in the eye and I say, El Puerto no habla. Now, if you speak Spanish, you know where this story's going because that is not a helpful phrase, all right? And so I say, El Puerto no habla, and the hotel staff looks at me and just kind of goes, huh? And so like a good American, what do I do? I slow it down and speak it louder. El Puerto no habla. And they just look at me like, Morano, you know, like it's just not going anywhere. It's not helpful. And I don't know why, because I am so confident. I have nailed this phrase. This is exactly what I needed to say. So obviously you don't know how to do your job. It's all this stupid stuff going through my mind, right? But I try to say it again. I try to say it again. I try to say it again. They just keep giving this honestly very gracious and patient look, but they don't know what I'm talking about. And I don't understand why. So finally it dawned on me, I should at least show them the key card. And I'm like... El Puerto no habla, and they go, oh, and they kind of look, and they take my key card, and they rekey it, and I go upstairs, and I get in the room, and I'm like, finally, these guys caught on. Like, what's the deal? So the next morning, the missionary picks us up, and I start telling this story to the missionary, and I say, yeah, I walked right down to the desk, and I said, El Puerto no habla, and the missionary starts cracking up, and I'm like, what's the problem? I thought you were going to be proud of me, and they're like, well, what you went down to the hotel staff and said was, the port doesn't talk. Well, this is Mexico City, and if you don't know anything about Mexico City, it's in the center of the country. There ain't no ports, okay? And they certainly don't talk, right? And so I'm sitting here basically yelling at the hotel staff, the port doesn't talk. And they're like, 
you're right. Like, I mean, it's just like, they're very, very confused. And the missionary graciously told me the phrase you were looking for was la puerta no abre. Now you can understand as you look at those as a non-Spanish speaker, how I could have gotten those confused. El puerto, la puerta, what's the difference? Well, a lot, because the second phrase says the door doesn't open. How convenient that phrase would have been had I been able to remember uh, those simple words. Well, the reason I bring this up is because when we think about language, when we think about communicating with one another, when we think about trying to get a point across to someone, it's very important that we're actually hearing the same thing, that we're talking about the same thing, and that we're coming from the same page. Because otherwise, one of us could be saying, hey, listen, el puerto no habla. The other person's going, moran. You know, it's just like, so we have to make sure that we're kind of dialing in. And I think that when we look at this passage, it's going to be very important for us to kind of look back at the language it was written in and then try to figure out the puzzle that's kind of being put together. And so what we're going to see here is that this this word, slow to anger, this phrase in the Hebrew is actually, actually erek apapayim. Okay, Erek Apapayim. Now, you would probably assume, and I certainly assumed, that that phrase would translate into something like slow to anger. It doesn't. It means it, but it doesn't say that. What it actually says is long-nosed. Imagine walking up to someone and saying, hi, I'm long-nosed. And what you're trying to say is I'm slow to anger. You're like, what? The port doesn't talk. I don't understand where you're coming from. How does this work? But so I'm like, so why on earth would God said, say I am gracious, I'm compassionate, I'm abounding in love, and I'm long-nosed? Right, like how does that fit in? So I started looking in, like what were the Hebrew people thinking at the time that this was being written? And they regularly described the emotion of getting very angry as one of being like red in the face or hot nosed, right? So we might say like his face was burning red because he was that uh, angry, right? Or his nose was uh, hot, right? Like we would say versions of that a little bit. And so that's where they get the phrase of, well, he's long nose. Like it takes a long time for his nose to get to the point where it's hot because of his anger. So it's actually saying is he's long suffering. Like as he engages the things that might otherwise make him angry, it actually takes him a long time to get there. In other words, he's slow to anger. Right? It's like, okay, well, this is a little bit fascinating, and it gives a little bit more understanding as to why God might want us to understand that he is slow to anger or long-nosed. And then I thought to myself, well, why would he tell us that? And what does that in some ways have to do with being angry in the first place? Like, why would that be a thing? Where does this come from? And I think that it's actually sandwiched right there in that key passage. So it says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to the thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. All of those other words have this theme of God's love. It is being completely extended from this position of how he loves his creation, about how he loves his people. And a part of his love is actually being slow to anger. It's actually being long-nosed. And so there's something to both the fact that he can get angry and the fact that it takes him a while to get there, that's a part of who God and his love is all about. That's what I'm excited to share with you because I think once we realize what's going on here, we want this. 
We want a God that can get angry. We want a God that would be stirred up by certain things that anger is the response. And I think it's really important for us to understand because a lot of times we think anger and hatred are synonymous. And then we're like, well, so how can God get angry if he's love? And that's where a lot of our confusion comes from. So let's take a look at kind of the most recent place that the Israelites would have experienced God's anger as they're hearing this from God himself. So if you've got your Bible still open, flip back to Exodus 15. Okay, we're gonna take a look at this passage in here. Um, This is fascinating because what has just happened in the Israelites' history is that Pharaoh basically reneged on his entire deal. He said, I'm going to let you, Moses and Aaron, I'm going to let you take the people. You can have your freedom. And as they start leaving Egypt, he changes his mind and says, never mind, I want them back. And at best, he wants them as slaves again. And at worst, he wants to kill them. And so he gets his entire army. He mounts the chariots. They start chasing after the Israelite people. Well, this is a bummer because the Israelite people have just ended up at the coast of the Red Sea and they have nowhere to go. There's no way to go around it in the amount of time that they need to get away from the army. There's obviously no way over it. There's no way under it. They feel like life is now over. Here comes Pharaoh. Many of you would know this part of the story. Either you've read your Bible or you've seen Charlton Heston. And the next thing that happens is the waters part, right? It is the miracle of miracles in the Old Testament. The waters part and God allows his people to walk across the sea on dry land. And as they get their way through the dry land, they start coming up the other side. At about the same time, Pharaoh and his chariots are charging into that same walkway through the waters. And as the last Israelites get out, the water comes crashing in and takes all of Pharaoh's chariots, all of his men, all of his army. They are wiped out and gone. And the Israelites just witnessed all of this. And their reaction is what you're going to see in Exodus 15. And he said, or they start to sing, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. The best of Pharaoh's officers, they sank to the depths like stone. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. They're singing about this. They're like, God just rescued us from Pharaoh. His burning anger rescued us. They're excited that God got angry. They're actually thrilled. It saved their life. Now, this happens to us on all the time on some level. I was talking to someone this week and they were explaining how uh, there was a time when they were in elementary school, they were on the school bus and this kid kept bullying them and bullying them and bullying them. And finally she went home and told her family, like, I can't take this anymore. This kid keeps bullying me. Well, her older sister got on the bus the next day and let's just say the bullying stopped. Like she was like, you are not gonna talk to my sister and put that bully in their place. And I was, I was talking to my friend. She was like, honestly, I felt so safe. Like my sister was angry with the person that was mistreating me. They were angry with the person that was verbally abusing me and that anger actually added to the protection that they felt from their sister in the same way that the Israelites would have felt like God's anger was protective because it was sourced from love. God loved his people 
and wanted to protect them and keep them from the mistreatment and the abuse that Pharaoh was hurling down on them. He said, no, that's it. I've given you the plagues. I've given you the chance. You released them. And now you're trying to turn that deal around. No, I'm done. And that his hot anger was released on them and took them like burned stubble. That's fascinating to me because suddenly anger sounds like a good thing. God's like a mama bear, right? Chasing down because you've been messing with my cubs. All the moms in the room just literally smiled at me like, yep, like that's how it works. Like you cannot mess with my kids. My righteous anger will burn against you. And that's exactly where God is standing in this moment. When we're the benefactors of that loving anger, it makes us feel safe. When we realize that the person is standing up for us in that righteous, holy, appropriate, justice-filled anger, we're like, Thank you. Someone understands what I've been going through. They're standing up for me. I now feel protected. If you've been struggling with that idea that can God even get angry, what I would encourage you is you want him to. There are times when you want God to be angry because of all the things that are happening around us. So I had to pause and I had to ask myself, If the motivation for anger, for God's anger, is compassion, what happens if that scenario flips? What happens if I'm the one in Pharaoh's shoes? What happens if I'm the one mistreating someone that God loves? What happens if I'm the one that's hurting someone? What happens if I'm the one that's abusive? What happens if I'm the one that starts to talk? What happens then when I'm the one hurting God's creation and those that he loves? Because it's easy to suddenly see yourself in a place where like, yeah, if, if people are hurting me, God should get angry. Can we swallow that God might get angry with us? I, uh, I have the pleasure of leading one of the life groups here at Grace Church. And I love uh, my life group. I love leading it. I love hosting it. It's so fun. And I, this is not a program plug or anything. I just promise you, like, if you're not in the group, you should find a group. It's fantastic. Just the encouragement, the people that help you. And it's, it's wonderful. Well, we had a little incident a couple of weeks ago that I want to share with you. So in our life group, we got about a dozen kids that come in and out, and uh, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. And then our adults, when the weather's nice, not like this weekend, but when the weather's nice, we'll sit outside on our patio, and we'll meet outside, and then the kids all meet inside in the family room. And a couple of weeks ago, as that scenario is playing out, all of a sudden, we hear this big thud, like huge thud. We're like, what was that noise? Like, all these kids are like under eight. Like, who made a noise that deep and loud? Like, what happened? Well, there's a babysitter in there, and the kid, most of the kids are between that, like, six to nine age group. So I'm like, certainly if there's an emergency, the babysitter or one of the kids will come out and tell us or will hear a scream or some way or another will hear what's going on. Well, nothing happened. Like, well, must not be that big of a deal. Okay, well, when we go back into the room after life group's over... There's a wall, there's a hole in my wall. Like a hole. <laughs> a whole hole. Okay? Like it's a kid-sized hole. Apparently there was a piggyback gone wrong. Okay? And this kid fell off a piggyback right between the studs. 
right? Like perfectly in between the studs and boom, kid size hole in the wall, right? And so I'm looking at this, I start laughing. I'm like, that's amazing. Like, and somehow this kid didn't get hurt and he wasn't, he's like, I'm fine. You know, like, and that's why nobody came outside because they'll eventually find out about the hole. Why interrupt them? Um, (laughs) And they were fine. So I'm laughing about it and I'm like, yeah, it's no big deal. Like, that's just what it can, this doesn't happen all the time, but it's like, yeah, it's hosting, you got people in the house, stuff's gonna happen, it's not that, it's really not that big of a deal, it's just some drywall and paint, we'll figure it out, it'll be just fine. And the parent of this kid is like, no, but really, and here's the funny part of the story, and for those of you that have maybe hesitated to get involved in a life group, this is your worst nightmare, this was their first night at our life group, and their kid fell through our wall. Uh, Like, and so they were like, are they gonna let us back? Like, are they gonna sue us? And I'm like, no, it is fine. Like, I don't care. Like, it is not that big a deal. Again, an hour or so, we'll patch the wall. Like, it's no big deal, right? Now, what would happen if they came back, which they did, and they're like a part of the group now, it's fantastic. Been there like four times, it's totally natural, right? But what would happen if the next week it happened again? It's like, well, we, you know, we, we just patched this wall, right? Like maybe we should maybe not do piggybacks, kids, all right? Like this isn't working out, right? And then you patch it again and you get it all hooked up and then the next week they do it again. And you're like, guys, um, we, we just talked about this last week. We've now patched two holes. Maybe we could like not put a hole in the wall next week, right? And then they come back again and they put a hole in the wall and now it's like kids, Listen, now. You know, it's just like the real voice coming. You know, it's like you're like trying to strike that fear of God, right, into these kids. And you're like, I will put you in cage. Not really. I, but like, I, this is not going to happen again. And then it happens again. You're like, guys, now. Like, you know, it's just like, and you can see that like slow escalation because seriously, I haven't been even remotely upset the entire, because it only happened the one time. I don't care. But if all of a sudden it's happening the fourth time and the fifth time, eventually we're gonna have a talk. Like this is not cool, right? And that's a part of what it would look like to be long-nosed, right? I could have lost my cool that very first time. Look at the hole, right? Like I could have been upset the first time, but I'm like, whatever, it's not that big of a deal. God is long-nosed. God understands when we make these mistakes, when it's a piggyback gone wrong, when it's like, of course, you are human. Of course you made a mistake. Of course you stumbled into the wall. Of course this didn't work out very well. But then we tend to stumble into the wall again. And we try, God, I'm really, really sorry. And you patch that hole back up. And then you put the hole in the wall again. And God's like, man, we just processed this. But yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's talk about it. Let's get you forgiven. Let's clean the, wash the feet. Let's, let's make this a thing. And then you put a hole in the wall again. And again. And again. And again. And at some point in time, God's like, can we stop putting a hole in the wall? Because if that happened to me and that hole was there for the fifth time, I'd start asking questions like, Do you even like care about me at all? Do you care that you're in someone else's house? 
do you have any respect for me whatsoever that you're not even trying to not put holes in my wall? Do you have any regard for me and my family whatsoever? And we start putting those holes in God's wall and we just keep it up and we keep it up and we keep patching it and we keep it up and we keep patching it and we keep it up. And we, at some point in time, I think God asks, do you like care about me at all? Like, do you have any regard for me as God in your life at all? Do you respect me at all? Because you keep saying it and you keep patching the wall, but you keep turning around and just punching a hole right back into it. And at some point, it really feels like you don't care. And at some point in time, that's going to lead God to the anger part of being slow to anger. When, it, when is it enough? When are we actually not caring that we're putting holes in God's walls versus accidentally stumbling? Some of us were just spiritually clumsy. God knows. Literally, he knows. He knows you, can't, you almost can't help yourself and there are others of us, we, we're bringing sledgehammers and drills. We know exactly what we're doing. We know that we're putting holes in our life. And we are basically telling God we don't care. And it's okay, because Jesus forgives and grace. But at what point in time is God asking those questions? Do you have no regard for me? Do you not love me at all? Some of us, we're still, we're still wrestling with, but is that really the way that Jesus would talk or is that just Old Testament God stuff? Well, Jesus shows us. He says, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Jesus' words. It would be better for you to be drowning with no escape than to suffer the anger of God. And we're like, but Jesus, you forgive. Right, but if you just keep hole in the wall, hole in the wall, hole in the wall, what? Wouldn't you get angry? Wouldn't you get fed up? Those of you that are parents, you know the difference between, yeah, my kid messed up versus like, my kid is purposefully pushing my buttons. Those of you that have coworkers, you know the difference between a clumsy or even a nicely incompetent coworker versus someone that just seems like they're pure evil. Seems like they're just purposely making it harder for everybody else. We know, we know the difference, and so does God. Do you even care about me at all? God loves people, you included. And when we continue to hurt the people that he loves, when we continue to verbally abuse people, 
When we continue to hate people because of the choices or the allegiances they make across the world, when we continue to hate people simply because of what they stand for, when we continue to badmouth people because of their skin color or because of their position or because of their ethnicity or because of their political viewpoint, when we continue to hate people because of the ways in which they want to run their life, when we continue to badmouth them and talk about them flippantly and arrogantly and vulgarly in public, on social media, when we continue to talk to God's daughters and sons with disrespectful language, when we continue to drag his people through the mud because I'm sinning and it's not that big of a deal and I'm forgiven and you want this too, so we're gonna do this together. When we continue to pull people through that mud, when we continue to treat God's children this way, when we continue to sin, because that's what sin is, Sin is when we step in and destroy either ourselves slowly but surely or quickly or we begin to slowly or quickly begin to abuse and mistreat other people. That's sin. And God says, stop. Those are my kids. Stop. You are hurting yourself and I love you and this is not okay. Stop. Eventually, at some point in time, God, of course, is patient. Of course, loves you. That's where his anger is coming from. I love you so much that I'd really prefer that you not hurt other people or yourself. So much that I would like to intervene when it gets out of control. You see, we have this problem of hearing anger as hatred. But when God is angry at us, it's actually out of his love. He's trying to pull you back into life. And we've put so many holes in the wall on purpose that God has to get our attention in a little bit more of an intense way. There's a chance that you feel like God is angry with you that you feel like God is upset. And he might be. It might be. He might be trying to get your attention, but here's, here's how we know. Here's how we know he's patient with us. Right now, in this very moment, he's getting your attention through the smooth pipes of Pastor Joe, as opposed to blowing up your life. Right now, you know what those holes in the wall are because we got to look through his word because we got to look at how loving and compassionate and abounding in love he is as opposed to him having to really, really get your attention because he's slow to anger and he's long-nosed. He's giving us that extended grace. I'm trying to get your attention in a loving way in a subtle way, will you respond? Will you stop putting holes in the wall? How about we just stop doing piggyback rides because that's not working out? How how about right now you realize that I'm talking to your heart and you stop talking to your spouse that way? How about right now you realize that I'm looking into your mind and your heart and, and we stop sneaking away to look at pornography? How about we just stop it? 
How about we stop right now? The way that you're cheating at work and you think you're getting away with it, how about we stop it? Because if you keep this up, you're actually gonna destroy, destroy multiple people's livelihoods. How about you stop right now before this gets nuts? God is getting your, your attention through a conversation. That's incredibly patient. And the good news is that God's anger, as it's birthed out of his compassion, as it's birthed out of his love, as he looks at you as his child, as he looks at the people around you as his children, he actually wants to make sure that that, that, that patience, that that slowness to anger is extended to such an extreme extent that he actually took care of his anger for you. He took care of his anger for you. One of my favorite passages is Romans chapter five. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while you were still putting holes in the wall, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since we've now been justified by his blood, now that his anger is no longer pointed at us, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Jesus took God's anger and wrath as the most extreme expression of his love for us. Because we deserve God being angry with us. We deserve it. We know the holes we're punching. And yet Jesus said to make sure that we have as much, as much patience granted to us as possible. I will become the object of God's wrath. I will take on that anger. This is incredible news because now God is at both sides of this conversation. He is angry and trying to get your attention because your sin is self-destructive and destroying relationships. It's not allowing people to see clearly who he is and his message and his love and his life. And he's offering that ex extended life to you. Let me transform you. Let me take out the selfishness. Let me remove the destruction from your life. Let me start to change how you talk to people at work. Let me interact in your relationship. Let me show you how to love your girlfriend, your boyfriend appropriately. Let me show you what marriage looks like. Let me show you how to love your parents, even though you don't think they're that smart. Let me show you how to do that. Let, let me transform your life through Christ. So instead of being someone that punches holes in the wall, instead you're the one that shows up with the extra drywall and the mudding kit to fix and reconcile relationships and help people see God's love and help people see that he's abounding in his forgiveness and he's gracious and compassionate. If we think that God is always angry, it's just not true. And if we think that God will never be patient with us, it's not true. Jesus proved it. What we need to ask ourselves, I think right now, is is it possible 
that God is angry with me? Is it possible that God is angry with you? It's not that Jesus didn't die for your sins. It's not that for those of us that have given our lives to him that somehow that's nullified. It's just, is it possible that God is angry with you? And we have three pathways, at least. And one is we can ignore it. Joe, that's nice and all, but I'm gonna go ahead and willfully step into my apathetic rebellion and say I want nothing to do with this. I don't care. If God's mad at me, let him be mad. That's one option. I don't recommend it. The second option is repentance. Repentance means to rethink, to turn. I'm going this way. I'm doing these things to put holes in the wall. I'm doing these things that hurt people. I'm doing these things that are self-destructive. And instead, I'm gonna turn to Christ and say, you are my only hope. You are the only one that can give me life. You are the only one that can forgive me of all of these anger-inducing things. I need you. And we can repent and turn towards Jesus and allow him to start working inside of us in ways that we can't even imagine. And the third option is just straight up humility. It's actually allowing ourselves to ask the question, are there people in my life that I'm intentionally or unintentionally pointing away from Jesus because of the way that I talk to them at work, the way that I belittle them, the way that I rally about them online? the way that I spout off about how their opinions mean nothing, the way that I, you continue to fill in your blanks, you know what holes you're punching in the wall because God's working in you right now and he's asking you in this moment to humble yourself so that we can become reconcilers instead of anger inducers. God is a a person that wants to know you and he wants to be known by you And in all of this conversation, he is so slow to anger. But let's not push those buttons. Let's not take advantage of the grace that God is giving us. Let's not take advantage of the fact that just because the owner of the house said it's not that big of a deal that there's a hole in my wall that we do it again. Let's not take advantage of the fact that Jesus, just because Jesus forgives your sin that we just decide that I'm gonna keep doing it then because if it's forgiven, it's forgiven. Because all we're doing is expressing our lack of love for Christ and his offer of forgiveness. My question for us is are we willing to accept God for who he is? His desire to love us his desire to correct us, his invitation to join him. And are we loving him back? I pray that we would allow God to speak for himself and and that his definition of who he is, that we would trust that he does get angry, but he allows us a way out. That we are condemned by our own actions and thoughts and words, and yet he forgives us for them. And that we would just run to him. And it will allow his grace and his love to change us from the inside out. Will you pray with me?
Father God, many of us are full aware of the sledgehammers that we've been bringing to your house. We continue to pretend like it's not that big of a deal or maybe even more dangerously, some of us, we know it's a big deal and we haven't cared. But Lord, we know that we don't want to see the fullness of your anger and if we are being honest, I pray that we would spiritually just fall to our knees and be so eternally grateful that you take on that anger through Christ. That you offer us a pathway to life. That you repair the holes in the wall. You take care of what we need. You change us and you help us join you in the mission to love and help people see how wonderful and gracious and compassionate you really are. Change us. Help us to see what you see. And help us to fall in line in your grace. And it's your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.